0: Uh, Psalm 34, we're just going to look at one verse tonight, but don't get your hopes up. Still could go long, you never know. Um, Psalm 34, we've been looking at that. This is the uh, psalm that David wrote after he had been uh, with the Philistines. He had escaped from Saul's people, and um, now as he... uh, Well, as he's there in the midst of all of the Philistines, he's carrying the sword of Goliath, and he's in Goliath's hometown. So, uh, not exactly the best military strategy or whatever, I guess, in my opinion, but I don't know. That's uh, uh, hard to tell because I wasn't there, and I don't know the whole situation. But there he is. Now he's trapped, and he's not sure what to do. And so he uh, acts like he is insane, drooling and all of that, particularly something that was loathsome to those people. And so uh, Abimelech um, drives him out. And so uh, then he writes this psalm after that. I don't know if it's because, as I said last week, because between his lack of faith and the promises of God and the anointing of God, and uh, now maybe he's learned something, Or uh, maybe he's thinking in terms of the Lord, regardless of how it happened, the Lord got me out of this. And so he says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually dwell in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear and be glad. And then the verse we're going to focus in on tonight. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. That's important. And let us exalt His name together now what struck me as i thought about this was as americans we are so individualistic rush limbaugh used to talk about rugged individualism you know and uh, that's what a lot of us think of i can handle this myself i can handle life i don't want to show any weakness i don't want to ask for any kind of help or anything like that i i can do this i've got this and uh, a lot of times that serves us pretty well because we do things and achieve things and think of all the things that have been invented in this nation and think of all the great things that have taken place that we enjoy now because of that spirit of being an entrepreneur or an explorer or whatever uh, the case might be. But think about how that hinders us when it comes to worship. How many songs Have you heard over the years that say, you know, me and Jesus, we got a good thing going. And I don't need anybody else but Jesus. And while that's true on one sense, on another sense, that's not exactly true. Because we actually need one another. God put us as relational beings in a church body, in a church family, we call it. Because we actually do need one another. We need teachers. We need preachers. We need... Uh, people to help us. We need people to pray for us. We need people to um, maybe serve us at certain times, whatever the case may be. And I'm afraid that we have a lot of people now who have the idea I don't really need the church. I can worship better by myself. You know what I told one person who told me that? I don't doubt it. I probably mess you up. In you trying to worship. And there are probably plenty of other people in the church that mess you up when you try to worship. Amen? Sometimes people say rude things. Even in church. And it messes you up. Sometimes people say things that are wrong. And it distracts you. Sometimes people do things that they probably ought not do. And for the rest of the service you can't think of anything but What they did and why they did that. and Why didn't somebody stop them from doing that? And we can have our minds a thousand different places because of other people. And I don't doubt that you could be out on the golf course or uh, fishing or sitting home watching live stream on a couch. And you don't have to interact with anybody. Nobody has bad breath when you're by yourself. Nobody needs a shower when they're by themselves. Nobody talks and interrupts you when you're by yourself. Nobody asks you a question you can't answer when you're by yourself. And so, I don't dispute the fact that probably you can worship better and easier by yourself. There's only one problem with that. The Bible commands us to do otherwise. We are supposed to be together in worship. In Hebrews ten twenty-five. Let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as is the habit of some. But we are to do it all the more as we see the day approaching. For some reason, God wants us to be together. Now, think about this. Here's a soloist. They, they have the best solo and the best song that has ever been sung in the history of Christianity. Well, some of them think so anyway. But how much do they bless you if they never come to church to sing it? And the answer is they don't. Don't be afraid, you're okay. They don't. What about if somebody were to have the best sermon ever preached in the history of Christianity and yet they just preach it to themselves, they preach it in a garage or something like that. What good does it do anybody? And the answer is it doesn't. And the same way is true for our fellowship, for our relationships. We've got to build those. They've got to become strong. You've got to get to know people. You've got to get to know where they are strong, where they are weak, what their spiritual gift is. You've got to get to know them in a relational way so that you can help them and they can help you. Somebody said one time, let your words be no, long, no stronger Blah, 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 and get that out. Let your words be no stronger than your relationship. And what happens is sometimes we try to correct people, rebuke people, teach people, train people, when we don't really know those people and they don't receive it. And so it's a good word. How do we get to know each other? We need to be together. And maybe it's not always in the context of a worship service. Uh, I think some of the things that... Hebrews 10, 24 say that we are to consider one another and uh, how we can encourage one another and uh, to actually stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Uh, I think sometimes that happens at a church fellowship. I think sometimes that happens in a Sunday school class. I think sometimes that happens in a lot of different contexts. But I think Hebrews 10.25 makes it clear we need to gather like we are tonight and like we do on Sunday for worship. There's a dynamic. There's something that happens there that cannot happen alone. And that is when Hebrews 10.24 says, Let us consider one another and how we can provoke one another or stimulate one another to love and good deeds. That absolutely does not happen in isolation. And so we are to be together to help one another and to receive the help that we need. And we are to be together for the purpose of encouraging one another. Sometimes, if you're by yourself a lot, you get the idea there's nobody else who's faithful. Nobody else who loves the Lord. Boy, this is why the country's going to hell. There aren't enough people like me. Well, it's good to gather with other people and find out you're not the only one. We get the Elijah complex sometimes And uh, we go under our little tree in the desert and say, Oh, what's the point? Just let me die. There's nobody else like me. And then the Lord told Elijah, Are you kidding me? I've got 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Now, get up and get moving. And sometimes we need that. Sometimes uh, we get around people in the church and we actually (gasps) find out that there are some people better than us. How could that possibly be? I'm positive there are some people here tonight who love the Lord more and better than you and I do. I'm positive there are some people who are more disciplined in their walk with God than you and I are. I'm positive that there are some people here tonight that have more joy than you and I do, have more peace than you and I do. The fruit of the Spirit is manifested in their lives. You know what it does? It does you good to be around somebody like that. And they start talking about what they read this morning in the Bible. And then you realize you can't remember what you read if you did indeed read something. And it encourages you to be better. It encourages you to follow the example of someone else. Maybe you are so caught up in your day and in your situation. And you're kind of depressed and you're kind of bummed out and burdened down. Then you come to church and you hear somebody pray. And you go, man, that's what I need to be doing is praying more like that and praying more often. Maybe you hear about somebody who witnessed to somebody and you go, there it is. I'm not filled with joy because I'm not out there telling lost people about Jesus. And on and on we could go. We get to where it's just kind of individualistic or maybe cliquish. As long as my four friends are here, I don't really care much about anybody else. This just flies in the face Of what David says. I will bless the Lord at all times. Okay. How are you doing on that? And how do you compare to what David said? His praise shall continually be in my mouth. What's been in your mouth today? Even on your way to church tonight. Or even while you've been here tonight. Has the praise of God been in your mouth? Have you encouraged anybody else with praise for God? my soul will make her boast in the Lord what makes you feel good inside and where the real you reside, your real personality, your mind, will, and emotions. Well, David said, my soul will boast in the Lord. You know, sometimes we boast in ourselves. We boast in how well we can bake cookies. We boast in how well we can play ball. We boast in how many friends that we have. We boast in a lot of things. And if those things don't happen, then what happens to us? We collapse. David said, well, if your boast is in the Lord, then you don't have to worry about that because he is always worthy of your praise. And your soul needs to find its rest and its confidence and its security in the Lord. And then he says, the humble shall hear thereof and be glad. In other words, if you are really blessing the Lord at all times, if his praise really continually dwells in your mouth, and if your soul really does make its boast in the Lord... You won't have to worry about being a witness. You'll be one. And you'll be an evangelist. And you'll be sharing your faith with uh, other people. And other people will be asking you about your faith. I mean, it all kind of works together. And then David gets to this point to where he just has an outburst that says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. And let us exalt his name together. And it's just an exuberant outburst of glory and praise and concern for other people. And that's where I want to kind of land tonight. That sometimes we act like worship and salvation and everything is just, it's between me and God, you have no right to question it. You don't even need to know about it. It's a private issue, we may say. "Okay," David says, no, it's not. This is something to be shared. This is something that we go to together. We need one another, and we are supposed to act like we love each other. And so, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together makes me think of some things. Number one, worship is the natural result of blessing and praising the Lord. I mean, I really do think this. If we really did what David talked about in the first couple of verses in here, if we really did that, we couldn't wait to get to church. We couldn't wait to open our Bibles in the morning. We couldn't wait to spend time with the Lord in prayer because He is the subject of our life. He's the theme of our life. He's the passion of our life. And we're talking about Him and that causes us to want to worship. It's interesting that those first two verses And then as David talks about himself, he has that outburst, magnify the Lord with me. Let's get together and let's exalt his name. See it? And so many times we think of church as, well, what am I going to get out of it? Will I have fun? Will I enjoy it? Will I like it? Will it make me a better daddy? Will it make me a better wife or husband? And uh, those things would all be good, except that's not really what the focus is. Of worship is, if you look at it carefully. Um, what David is saying here is that he wants to make the power, the works, And the greatness of God to make it known. It's not enough just to have it in my mind and in my heart. I want other people to know it. I want my wife to know it. I want my kids to know it. I want my grandkids to know it. I want my neighbors to know it. I want other people to know it. I want my church to know it. I want us to leave here tonight rejoicing in the Lord. And thinking about those kind of things. Because that's what worship really is all about. Isn't it? Glorifying the Lord and impacting the lives of other people. And David apparently had to know something about the Lord or he couldn't do with it. How do you bless somebody that you don't know anything about? How do you make your boast in somebody that you don't know anything about? Well, the obvious answer is you don't. And so the more David knew about his God, the more this was true in his life. And that's what we do in worship. We get to know this magnificent God who created us, who graciously saved us. I mean, it couldn't help but think, oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Can you imagine anybody loving you that much? Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Why did grace have to bring it down? Because you didn't deserve it. And God would be perfectly just and right if he forgot about you and let you live your life in misery and in bondage and die and spend eternity in hell. But he didn't. He's a gracious God who loves unworthy sinners like us. Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary you couldn't get to him you couldn't find him you couldn't cross the Gulf that separates you and God but God did that for you and this is all out of his love how can you not sing about a God like that how can you not talk about a God like that how can you not get excited about a God like that how can you not rest and find blessed assurance in a God like that it's a wonderful that we do here and we need to start praising him so David knew these things about God and so because of that he was talking about his God It's kind of like you do with your kids or your grandkids the more you know the more you talk it's kind of like some people do about their health sometimes you ask them how are you doing and before that's out of your mouth you go oh why did I ask because they're going to tell you something about it that you didn't necessarily want to know right Think about how we interact on things and think about how we love to say that we know people. I remember uh, being in, uh, see, when was it? Had to have been third grade. And there was this girl in the class, I can't remember her name, but every time you turned around, she was telling you and telling the class that she was a, uh, a descendant of Andrew Jackson, President Andrew Jackson. Okay, You know what that meant to me? zilch you know why because I didn't even know who that was you know somebody can tell you that but now that I know who he was I might be interested in hearing a little bit more about her story and about her family I don't necessarily care all that much for him but nonetheless I know something about him and because I know something about him it kind of piques my interest You know why some people are so bored in church? Number one, they don't know God. And number two, if they do, they don't know very much about Him. They don't really get Him. And they think that they come to church so that they can appease a God who will somehow be like a rubbing the genie's lamp or something, that if I'll come to church and I'll endure this, then when I go out, maybe I'll get a new car. Maybe I'll get a new job. Maybe I won't be sick anymore. Maybe I'll have some friends. And we make it all about us and it becomes a superstitious exercise of futility instead of an enriching and powerful time of worship because we don't really know God The way we ought to. And we don't talk about him in front of other people. Because we don't really know what to say. Because we don't really know him all that well. And so David is telling us here. Just how much he loves the Lord. And how much he knows about the Lord. To be able to bless the Lord at all times. To be able to have continual praise in his mouth. And to have his soul make his boast. Not in himself. Not in his achievements. But in the Lord. And that tells us. Worship has to start in the heart, doesn't it? Had a professor that said in the 1980s worship is state of the art. In the New Testament it was state of the heart. Well that's true 40 years later, isn't it? Today we want it state of the art. Lights, camera, action, smoke, sound, everything we can get. And yet our hearts are dead, cold and empty And we come as we are and we leave the same way we came. Oh God, forgive us. And oh God, do something that is far beyond what just man can uh, accomplish or do or attempt to do. It's got to begin in the heart. So when the people of God gather, it always makes a difference if you have been worshiping throughout the day. Do we worship here tonight? Of course we do. But it makes a difference if you've been worshiping through the day. If we come together and as we gather and we sing, it comes out of the overflow of the heart. Nobody's going to ever have to ask you to sing. Nobody's ever going to have to trick you into singing. No one's ever going to have to guilt you into singing. It comes out of the overflow of your heart. Whenever it's time to pray, you won't just sit there silent, empty, uncaring, unmoved, unfeeling. It will overflow out of your heart because you want other people to experience the Lord as you have experienced the Lord. You see what I'm saying? But if all it does is stay in the heart and we never get together and we never interact, well then what happens? God is not glorified as He deserves and people are not blessed as they ought to be Blessed. So it starts in the heart and then it's expressed through the mouth and it also controls our actions. Okay. Here's a verse of scripture I want you to consider. Hebrews 13, 15, and 16. Okay. Now listen to this. Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. Doesn't that sound like what David said? I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Or let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. In other words, it's not just during church times. It's not just when you get ready to eat a meal. It's not just when there's a tragedy in your family or something. This is all the time continually offering a sacrifice of praise to God. And then the writer goes on to say this. That is... The fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. Do you acknowledge His name? Well, then the fruit of your lips ought to be a continual sacrifice of praise, the writer says. And then it goes on to say, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. And so the aspect of worship has to do with our lips and then our actions. And one of the things we have to do in order to have good works and the actions that would come out of worship is to be around other people. And we need to be around lost people. We need to be around saved people. We need to be around our church, brothers and sisters and friends, because uh, it is through that that we truly get the double aspect of worship. I praise and honor the Lord, and then it shows up in the way that I treat other people. It shows up in the way that I live. It shows up in the way that I encourage other people. So that's number one. Let's go to point number two. Worship is focused upon the Lord. Should I even have to say that? And yet David said, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. I think it's an important thing because there are so many people that they think worship is about them. Now, they would never actually say that. But, you know, they don't hesitate to tell you when you preach too long. You know what I want to say sometimes? It wasn't for you. It was for the Lord. I did what I believe the Lord wants me to do. Some people may say, well, I don't know why we sang that song a second time. And they tell Brother Dale that, you know what, it wasn't for you. It wasn't about you. You see, we've got to get over ourselves and we've got to understand that we gather for the purpose of uplifting the Lord and to glorify His name. But we forget. And sometimes we think, well, uh, I'll come if I get something out of it. Uh, Why don't you come in order to give God the praise He deserves? And you know what the good thing about that is? You can do that in spite of me. Because I may mess you up sometimes. Because sometimes I do get going and I'm just a motor mouth and I could have quit sooner, but I didn't. And you know what? You can still worship God. Isn't that great? Sometimes Brother Dale may sing a song that you don't particularly like, but you can still worship God. Sometimes there may be somebody that gives a testimony in a Sunday school class, and they talk more than they ought to talk and take up some of the lesson time. But the good news is you can still worship God. And the idea here is we've got to have a God-centered life, which means we're going to have a God-centered worship. Some people get all hung up because they say, well, I can only worship God in the right place. Well, it's not about the place. It's about who He is. It's not about what you're experiencing. It's not about whether you're comfortable or not. It's about who He is, and He never changes. And so you can praise God and worship Him like Paul and Silas did in a prison cell. Or you can do it in a great cathedral. You can do it when you're outside in nature and the weather is beautiful. You can do it when you're with family and friends and people that you like. But you can also do it when you're like John on the Isle of Patmos when he says in the first of Revelation, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. I mean, this is an amazing thing if you're centered on Him. It reminds me of the woman at the well in John 4. If you want to turn there, you can. Verses 19 through 23. And the woman said to Him... Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Now, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. You know what she's saying? Where's the right place? Where's the right place? You know the great thing about the New Testament and your salvation and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is that everywhere you go, it's holy ground because God is there. Everywhere you go, every situation. So Jesus said, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. Remember what we said about David? He was able to worship because of what he knew. He's saying, You don't know what you're talking about. It's empty ritualism. We worship. What we know, the Jews had the Scriptures and were custodians of the Scripture. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers, which is what we all ought to aspire for, will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. Has His search ended with you I pray that it would because that's what he's seeking but so many times we come merely out of habit we come because of what other people will think of us if we don't come we come because we have responsibilities we come because we don't want to blow our reputation but all of that falls short of the real purpose doesn't it glorifying honoring the Lord Matthew chapter 15 verse 8 This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. For in vain, in emptiness, for no purpose, they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. But wouldn't it be terrible to spend your life as a church member and find out it was all empty? It was all in vain because your lips said the right thing, but your heart wasn't in the right place. It's chilling. And he's quoting an Old Testament scripture, I believe, from Isaiah. Psalm chapter 95, verse 3 says, For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, the heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Well, what does the psalmist say in response to that? Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. So, same theme all the way through in Scripture in a variety of situations. We worship our Lord and we worship in our hearts and that causes us to worship together because we're unified in it. Number three, personal worship Cannot be divorced from corporate worship. They both just go together. So personal worship enriches corporate worship. And uh, corporate worship is mandatory for true worshipers. We're to be together in all of this. And so uh, I think about Psalm 34, that first part that says, I will bless the Lord. Notice... I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Verse 2. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. And then all of a sudden it switches. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. There's somebody else involved. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. With me. And let us exalt His name together, the Bible says. Okay? And so... When we look at that, we see that David, yes, he had a personal, individual relationship with God and worship of God, but it never stayed there. It came out of his mouth, it impacted, and it affected other people. And that's why the writer of Hebrews said, When we gather, let us consider one another that we might encourage each other and stimulate one another to love and good deeds by not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but all the more as we see the day approaching. And there's kind of a hint in there that says, the closer we get to the day of the Lord's return, the more we're going to need this, and the more we're going to need one another And the more evident it's going to be who the true believers are and who the false converts really are. That brings us to number four. Corporate worship is a foretaste of heaven. You ever thought about that? I want you to uh, look in your Bible. Go ahead and turn there to Revelation 7. Everybody know where Revelation is? Last book of the Bible. That's an easy one, right? Unless you have a whole lot of maps and notes, then you might be in trouble. But find Revelation 7. And this is such a beautiful, wonderful picture. And this is kind of what church is like on a smaller scale, but it's there. Revelation 7, 9. after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation... "...from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb." And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Isn't that a beautiful picture? We live in a world now where God's name is blasphemed every day. Not just once or twice. Multiple, multiple, multiple times. You've heard it. It's no big deal. I, uh, sometimes I'll be watching something on TV and you know how they'll bleep out certain words? Have you ever wondered why they don't bleep out when they use God's name in vain? Because He doesn't matter to them. He's no big deal to them. He doesn't even exist as far as they're concerned. So there are other words that they'll bleep out because little children certainly shouldn't hear those words. But uh, when it comes to God, don't worry about that. Use His name in vain all you want. And uh, when you think about it, it ought to make you cringe because not only is it the commandment, thou shalt not use the name of the Lord thy God in vain, but it says right after that that He will not hold those guiltless who use His name in vain, right? Think about all of that. Think about all of the sin, all of the corruption, all of the crime, all of the immorality, all of that that took place worldwide today. I mean, after all, there are 7 billion people, and most of them will bow down before some sort of false idol or believe in some sort of false God, even if it's a God named Jesus, but it's of their own making, still a false God. Think about all of that that's happened. And then think about tonight. This little group of people gathered here tonight in this auditorium. Others are gathered in other parts of the building right now. And we were singing to the Lord tonight. And the Lord was pleased. Because it was like the aroma of fresh bread coming up. Like the aroma of incense coming up before him. Because out of this world, there are some people who believe. There are some people who surrender. There are some people who honor and they worship the Lord. And when the Lord talks about it being like a sweet fragrance, can you imagine the Father when we were singing going, (sighs) and we were pleasing to Him because we worshiped Him. You know, one of these days, We'll have an unending time together like that with people from all over the world. And you're going to get to heaven and go, wow, I had no idea there were this many people who were believers. Had no idea I had this big of a family. And then somebody's going to say to you something like this, why not? You have a great Lord And your direction will be pointed toward the throne. And like they did here with all of the nations and with all of the tribes, with all of the languages, we'll worship our great God together. And it'll be the most fulfilling, the most thrilling, the most joyous, and the most unified thing you have ever experienced. Because at that time, oh magnify the Lord with me, we'll all be doing it. And let us exalt his name together. We'll all be doing it. We'll be doing it with the right heart, with the right spirit, and all for the glory of God. And we will see his face as he receives our worship and is pleased by it, that sweet-smelling aroma. The worshipers, true worshipers, are made when people are born again. John Piper said the reason missions and evangelism exist is because true worship doesn't. And every time somebody is saved, another worshiper, another worshiper, another worshiper, another member of the family, another one giving glory to God instead of blaspheming His name, we are not alone. And so we need this because it reminds us we're not alone. We're in a fellowship. We're in a community of believers. I'll close with this. John Piper said, God created us for this, to live our lives in a way that makes Him look more like the greatness and the beauty and the infinite worth that He really is. This is what it means to be created in the image of God. Magnify the Lord with me. What are we going to do? Make Him bigger? You can't make God bigger. When you took that magnifying glass and you looked at that grasshopper through it, did the grasshopper get bigger? No, he just looked bigger. His image was clearer. You could see more on the grasshopper because it was magnified. When we magnify the Lord, we're not making Him bigger. You know what we are doing? Making His glory and splendor and beauty bigger and more clear for other people to see. You are God's magnifying glass while you walk on earth. Magnify the Lord because no one else could ever see or understand who He is, His beauty, His power, His greatness, His perfection. And so down here on earth, that's why we worship. So that we might see it better and more clearly, that others might also do it And that a lost and dying world through us might come to know and get to know our great Lord. So don't ever say, ah, it's just church or it's just Wednesday night or it's just Sunday school or anything. No, this is an outpost and a foretaste of glory divine in heaven. This is why we were created. Don't miss out. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. What great words and what powerful words those are. Thank you, Lord, for King David and inspiring him to write that so that we could rejoice in that truth tonight and be encouraged in all of this. We're not alone and our God deserves all of the praise that we can give. Will you pray with me? Lord, forgive us when we mess up the thing that ought to be the most instinctive, the thing that ought to be the most natural, and that is to worship. But because of sin, we have distorted it. We've made you look smaller than you really are, just like Adam and Eve did when they listened to the serpent and they magnified the serpent and his word above God and his word and plunged us into sin. And we've been living lives as though we're the center of the universe, as though we're the ones that matter, as though you serve us, as though you are here for our benefit when we ought to be as image bearers, giving glory, honor, and praise to you at all times. Forgive us, Lord. We're a sinful people. In a sinful world, as Isaiah said, I'm an unclean man of unclean lips, dwelling within uh, a people, a generation of unclean lips. Certainly true today, isn't it? Forgive us. Cleanse us. Bless us. And put within us a heart that longs to worship you as you deserve. Because lost people aren't going to do it. Neither can they. But we can. Help us to do it together. And help us to see a glimpse of heaven every time we sing together. Every time we proclaim the word of God. Every time we pray together. A little taste of heaven. And thank you for that glimpse of heaven. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.